for us. Father God, we love you so much. God, we are so grateful for your immeasurable power. God, the power that that makes the, the power of hell forever defeated. God, we are so grateful for your power. Will you, Lord, uh, in your power be with us this morning as we open your scriptures? God, will you uh, open our minds, soften our hard hearts to hear your truth and receive it? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Would you guys have a seat? In 2010, scientists completed one of the most incredible accomplishments of modern science. It is at the, uh, the, the center called CERN in, uh, in Europe. Some of you may know what I'm talking about. Most of you probably don't care. Here we go. It's called the Large Hadron Collider. I didn't know anything about this before yesterday, okay? This is so cool. It is a 17-mile loop underground. It's 300 feet underground, this giant loop, like a tunnel, uh, but is, is, is in this shape of a loop. And what they do... Scientists speed up particles near the speed of light in, in, in opposite directions in this thing. And when they're up to speed, they collide these particles into one another, creating some incredible uh, reactions. When these particles collide at near light speed, other particles split off and break off and new atoms are formed and, and new discoveries are made. It is an incredible thing. And, and what happens, or what needs to happen for the Large Hadron Collider to slam these particles together like this, what needs to happen is, is a tremendous amount of power has to be exerted on these uh, particles, right? So, so they use power, something I read said it, it, they use the equivalent of uh, one-tenth of all nuclear power uh, generated in our country. That's the kind of power they need to slam these particles together. Incredible electrical power. Incredible brain power, right? 10,000 scientists worked on the completion of this project. The brightest minds in the world, in fact, the brightest minds in the history of the world, have worked on the, the culmination of this gigantic piece of equipment that sits in Switzerland, right? And then the political power. When you think about this, 10,000 scientists, the world's best and brightest, which are uh, brought together from over 100 countries. And I don't know if you pay attention to uh, world news or anything, but 100 countries don't work on a lot of things together, right? That's incredible political power. So there's political power, there's brain power, and there's electrical power, all so we can slam these particles together. And you know what the result is? We, we get these new formations, these new atoms, these new discoveries. But I learned another thing this week, and, and that is the law of conservation of matter. I, I hope I'm not losing you here. Here's, here's what this law says. You can slam things together. They can break apart in new ways, right? We can find and discover new things, but nothing has actually been made or destroyed. This law says that all matter that's in the universe has been in the universe forever, and we may change its shape or its form, but it's the exact same matter, right? You, you have a chair, and you smash it to pieces, and you break it all apart, but the wood is still there. You throw it in the fire, and you burn it, but the, the ash, the smoke, all, every particle is still there. It has changed form, but it is still the same particles, uh, still the same amount of particles. All of this power... All of this power that the world can muster 
can merely change things. Now, let me contrast that to our God. Do you know where all of those particles that have been in the universe forever come from? The mouth of our God, right? Our God said, let there be light. Genesis 1-3, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. There was nothing, no particles, nothing, no energy, nothing existed. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. There was light. God creates. Out of his mouth he speaks and things that were not now are. Are you guys tracking with me? All of the power that humankind can muster and all of our science can merely change a thing, God makes a new thing. And God can destroy things. We cannot even destroy. We can change form, but we cannot truly destroy. Only God can create and only God can destroy. This is an example, just one tiny example of the immeasurable greatness of God's power that Paul is talking about in our passage. This is one example that the power to create and the power to destroy is, that is my first point. It is one uh, example, one area where we can see God's immeasurable power on display. And it doesn't even sound like he has to work that hard to do it, right? He speaks, let there be light. Boom, we have light. Right? And he goes on to speak the rest of creation into existence with merely his words. It's incredible. Our God is so powerful, so immeasurable uh, that we can't measure it. That's all I can say there. All right. Paul, hey, by the way, Paul struggled with a word there too. In the Greek, he just strings together adjectives. We, we translate that as immeasurable. But he just starts saying like the awesome, incredible, unbelievable, super cool power of God. That's all Paul does, right? So he struggles to find a word for that too, and Paul doesn't struggle to find words for many things. But that's God's power on display. Number two, God's power is on display in resurrection, right? That's what, what he's saying here, the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might, verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So let's talk for a second about this display of power called resurrection. Jesus goes to the cross and he dies for my sins and he dies for your sins, right? You guys know the story. He, he, the perfect sinless one, he goes to the cross and he's killed as a, like a common criminal, though he had done nothing wrong. But what was he doing? He was taking our sins to the cross. He was dying in my place, in your place. And then he is fully dead. He doesn't faint. He doesn't pass out. He doesn't take a nap. They kill Jesus. He's fully dead. And they take his body off the cross and they wrap it up with all these burial spices and cloths and all this stuff, like 100 pounds of cloth or something. I'm, it's the wrong number, but it's something. It's a lot, right? And then they, they lay his body in a tomb and they roll the stone over the entrance to the tomb. You guys are familiar with the story. We talk about it every Easter, right? Jesus was fully dead. And then something incredible happened, something that that does not happen with any other founder of any other religion. Because no other religion has real power. No other religion has, has the God of immeasurable greatness and power at their head, right? But something, something awesome happens. Jesus is raised from the dead. You go, well, Brian, this is old news. I know, but just stop for a moment and ponder this. 
all of our faith hinges on the reality that Jesus was raised from the dead. If he was not raised from the dead, he's just another martyr with some great ideas. And, and, and in fact, worse than that, he's a liar and a fraud. Because Jesus said he would raise from the dead. If he says he's going to raise from the dead and he doesn't, he's a fraud, but he does. God raises him from the dead using his immeasurably great power. This is God's power on display. It's resurrection power. It is incredible, incredible power. And and I thought this was interesting. At the cross, we have God's justice on display. Right? Our God is fully just as well. He's powerful. He's loving. He's all of these things. But he's also just. Sin requires the payment. Right? Sin requires the payment of death. And God is a just God. He cannot just overlook sin. We wouldn't want him to. Right? We all cry for justice. We want and seek and desire justice in our world. God is fully and perfectly just. He's totally fair. And it would not be fair for sin to go unpunished. So his justice is on display at the cross. But his power, his power is on display in the resurrection. What does that mean? That means God doesn't use his immeasurable power primarily to punish sin. He does punish sin. But his immeasurable power comes in when he's resurrecting the dead which is the same thing he does in you and in me, right? We are dead, spiritually dead, totally lifeless, wrapped up in spices, laid in a tomb. We are totally dead. And then God, using his immeasurably immeasurably great power, I'm going to trip over that all morning, okay? Immeasurably great power, he raises Jesus from the dead and he raises us to life spiritually. This is God's power at work. He uses his power to save sinners, not to punish them. Isn't that cool? He does punish sin, but that's not the greatest display of his power. The resurrection, the bringing back to life, that's the greatest display of his power. And Paul says it's that same power that raised Jesus from death that is directed toward us who believe. And just like I said a couple of minutes ago, God is creating a new thing, right? A totally new thing. or 2 Corinthians 5.17, I thought it was 1 Corinthians, Wyatt back there corrected me, thank you very much. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. This is as miraculous as God creating the heavens and the earth. When he creates a new creation in us, he destroys the old, something which we have determined humankind cannot destroy anything truly. God destroys truly the old and he creates a new person, truly creates out of nothing, not a rearranging of particles, something entirely new, entirely different. This is God's power on display. So he displays his power in creation, he displays his power in resurrection, and he displays his power with regeneration. Regeneration. When he takes a dead and lifeless sinner, and he brings them back to life, and then he starts breathing that life into us. And day by day, we start to look more and more like Jesus, and less and less like our old selves. This is God's power on display. Charles Spurgeon had a great quote, and I absolutely love this. He said, if God should speak 
to Niagara and bid its floods in their tremendous leap suddenly stand still. What does that mean, kids? Right? Niagara Falls, that huge waterfall, if God told all the water falling to just stop and the water just freezes in midair, that's what he's saying. That were a trifling demonstration of power compared with the staying of a desperate human will. That means when he makes us a believer, it is more impressive a display of power than to make Niagara Falls stand still. And he goes on. If he should suddenly speak to the broad Atlantic Ocean and bid it be wrapped in flames, we should not even then see such a manifestation of his greatness as when he commands the human heart and makes it submissive to his love. When God regenerates people and turns us into believers, into regenerated, Jesus-loving followers of Christ, that is his power on display. There's no other way it could happen. There's no other way it could happen. Colossians 2, verse 13 When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. This is God taking the the dead man, taking the dead woman spiritually and making them alive in Christ. It is a miracle, truly, truly a miracle. And we're going to see more of this when we get to Ephesians chapter 2, which I think some of you think is never going to happen. I assure you it will. Maybe not in your life, but eventually, right? We will get to Ephesians 2 and we will see more of God's power on demonstration, on display in regards to the regeneration of dead hearts. Now that's God's power on display, but there are warring powers There are warring powers in this world, right? Um, There there are, I want to classify these in kind of three ways. There's the power of the world, right? Uh, The the kings and kingdoms and, and fear of man and all this kind of stuff. This is all powers of the world. There's also the power of the devil, right? Satan is like a roaring lion uh, looking for those to devour. I mean, that is a real power at work against God and his people in the world. And number three, there is the power of our own sinful flesh, which I think is, is the trickiest of the three. But let me begin with the, the power of the world. Um, I, I love this story, and, and my kids are always asking me to tell stories, so I thought I'd tell a couple stories this morning, okay? One of my favorite stories in, in Kings comes from 2 Kings, uh, starting in like chapter 18, Hezekiah, right? King Hezekiah, he's a good king. He's a good king. He starts to follow God. He tears down the high places where people would go and worship other gods. He says, not in our kingdom. And he tears them all down. He says, we're going to worship God, the real God. And you know what happens when he does that? The evil king of Assyria marches against his city. He's taking over territory. He's probably the most powerful king in the world at this time. And he's taking over huge amounts of territory. He's already taken over the neighboring countries. And he comes right up to Hezekiah's doorstep. Here is the wall of Jerusalem with with all of, of Hezekiah's soldiers standing on the wall. And the king of Assyria marches right up to it. And he begins to offer to Hezekiah's soldiers, hey, come on down here. Give up your city. What I have for you is way better. And he starts to make all these promises. Chariots and horses and kings and glory in this wonderful land I'm going to carry you off to. 
And when that doesn't work, he starts to threaten them. Come on down here, I'm going to kill all of you. I'm going to destroy the city. So he threatens them. He promises, and he goes back and forth. It's actually kind of a weird, abusive thing going on, right? And, and he's trying to manipulate the people of Jerusalem. But Hezekiah said, don't even answer him. Don't even answer him. You just stand firm. You stay there. And then the king of Assyria makes a grave mistake. Listen to what he says in verse 32, chapter 18, verse 32. He says, and do not listen to Hezekiah. He's talking to the men up on the wall. Do not listen to Hezekiah when he misleads you by saying, the Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations ever delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? He says, I'm bigger than any god. I can destroy any people. No god that has ever stood before me has, has been able to, to last and stand and tell the tale. And I'm going to destroy you and your God too. Is that a mistake? When you're talking to the real God, that is a huge, huge mistake. That guy should have had maybe some history lessons uh, from the region of Egypt to see how that goes, right? No, this is bad news for him. So Hezekiah, in response, engages in an act of war. He engages in an incredible act of war. Do you know what his act of war is? He gets down on his knees and he starts to pray. And he prays like he's never prayed before. Because he knows that no power he has can stand against the king of Assyria. But he also knows the God he serves is more powerful than anything on earth or heaven or anywhere else. And so he prays as an act of war. And do you know what happens? God struck down 185,000 enemy soldiers, including the king, and Hezekiah did not lift a finger. God did that entirely on his own, and the enemy army is scattered because of it. That's the God of power. So, yeah, there are powers in the world but when we see God's power at work, it dwarfs all of them, right? And, and the devil has power, and, and I don't even know what to say other than even the devil is subject to the power of God. And when we see Satan try to move, we need not fear as believers in Jesus because God's power is at work, and it is so much more powerful than anything the devil could throw at us. And finally, there's, there's the power of our own flesh. I told you this is the trickiest uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones lists a, a bunch of things that our flesh will do, fear and, 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 um, and even physical ailments, the limits of our body, all of these things. And, and he says one of the biggest problems is, is the power of lethargy, laziness, uh, you know, comfort and contentment in, in what we have. And, and that is a serious enemy of God's power. We start to believe our own limitations rather than trust in the unlimitless, unmeasurable power of God. We, we say, I, I can't read my Bible tonight. I'm too tired, right? God, God really deserves all of my attention. And so because I'm a little bit distracted, I'll read later. And does later come? No, not really, right? We become lethargic. We become complacent. We, we get lazy Thinking that it's about our power and our abilities and forgetting that it's all about God and His power. 
I'm too busy. I'm too tired. I'm too exhausted. All we got to do is look back at some of the saints of history to see how false that is. John Calvin, who of course we quote a lot, uh, did, I mean, volumes and volumes of work that we still use uh, as we prepare sermons today, helped shape the, the faith, you know, what, four or five hundred years ago? Uh, he had asthma uh, and, and chronic indigestion that ended up killing him in his early 50s. Dies in his early 50s. And yet in that time, with all of those physical ailments, writes volumes and volumes of theological work that has benefited Christians for hundreds of years and still benefiting. Right? That kind of puts our arguments uh, to rest. And, and Spurgeon, who, who I love, my favorite preacher in history, he had poor health starting at age 33. Um, I found this quote. It, it was true, he said, that he had the gout and a very horrible pain it was, but he had the gout in his left leg and he had preached standing on the other he had not the gout of his tongue, and he was not aware that people preached with their legs. How hardcore is that? Right? I hurt my back this week because, like, I don't know, I'm getting old or something. I don't, and I was like, man, I can barely walk. I don't know, maybe I should, like, tap out of preaching. And then I read that, and it's like, well, never mind. <laughs> and it removes that excuse, doesn't it? Like, th these guys were intense, not because they were powerful. The, the example here is that their bodies were weak. What do we have? We have God's power on display. It's God's power at work. And in 1891, when Spurgeon was only 57, he was forced to bed rest. So he picked up his pen, and in the final three months of his life, as he laid in that bed, he wrote 180 pages of commentary, some of which our preaching team uses, uh, much of which our preaching team uses every single week as we prepare these sermons. That's what he spent his last three months in confined to bed rest as he was dying. That's what he did. Incredible, right? Is that his power? No, that's God's power at work. And so I just want to kind of conclude with this, right? At the end of, of most of our services, we do communion, right? We, we gather together. We're, we're going to do that here in a minute. We're going to take communion. And, and you might say, you might say, I'm unfit to take the Lord's Supper, Right? I, I'm, I'm unfit. I've sinned this week. I've been given to the power of lethargy. Right? I'm without the power to save myself. I shouldn't take communion. And that's to exactly miss the point. Because communion's not about your power. It's not about my power. Communion is another display of God's power at work. It's a display of, of God and his incredible power the power to save, the power to pay the penalty for our sins as Jesus goes to the cross, and the power to raise Jesus from death. Jesus said, every time you do this, do this in remembrance of me. He is fit to give you this supper. His blood is fit to cover your sins. It was never about your power, but always God's power at work. And then, today we have a baptism. We have a baptism, which is another incredible display of God's power at work. This is the regeneration of a person going from death to life. That's God's power on display. And then we're going to worship. And listen, church, 
I just got to say, we, we come to worship and I think sometimes we think, I shouldn't sing that loud because I have a terrible voice. And let me tell you, I have a terrible voice. I don't know if you ever noticed when I play drums, they don't let any microphones round about my face. No one wants to hear that. But here's the good news. These guys turn the speakers up loud. Nobody can hear you anyway, right? We can belt out and we can sing and we can praise Jesus with a loud voice. It doesn't matter what you sound like. The most beautiful worship I ever heard was a, a group of guys in a small group. We got together. It was all dudes in our 20s, and we're worshiping Jesus. I, I mean, Gray was there. He was the only one on key, okay? All the rest of us off key, off beat, off tempo, doesn't matter. It's beautiful because it's, it, it, it was men coming together to worship Jesus who had saved us. And you say, well, I don't really know the words. Well, we have them on the screen. Sing the wrong words. It doesn't even matter. Let's sing and praise Jesus. Let's show and display God's power at work in us. And you say, I may not have the rhythm, but good news is these guys are pros, right? They don't need us to keep rhythm. They'll keep the rhythm. We just got to sing along. And finally, you, may, you might say, hey, my kids are in here with me. This is kind of weird or awkward. And I just have to say, 1 Timothy, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. We should be lifting our hands and praising God, no matter how ridiculous we look, because it's not our power, it's God's power. It doesn't matter what other people think, because their power doesn't matter. God's power is what matters. Let's worship in the power of God. Let's show the kids in this place this morning what God's power working in his people really looks like. Let me pray. Father God, we love you so much and we are so grateful for this morning, as hot as it is, God, uh, that we can gather and we can worship you, we can hear from your word, and we can do that with the kids in the room. God, we are, we are so grateful for that. Lord, I pray that, that your power would move in us and through us this morning. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, we're going to go to communion. Go ahead and come up out of your seats. We've got communion uh, up.